Welcome to episode eight of On the Balcony. My name is Michael Kohler, and I'm your host. Today is the first of two episodes that engage with the theme of leadership without authority. If you've been listening to the show, you know that leadership and authority in our frame are not the same. You can practice leadership from any role in an organizational group. And it may be even easier, in some cases, to not be in charge. We'll begin to look at some of the resources for practicing leadership beyond what people might expect you to do. The chapter is titled, Creative Deviance at the Frontline. And that summarizes beautifully why activists, advocates, and organizers are particularly good at advancing adaptive work. You have more latitude for creativity. You can deviate from the status quo and the norms and challenge them more fully, even provoke people. And finally, you are more in touch with the data that is on the front line. Our guest today will help us bring these ideas to life through a lens of community and leadership development in the state of Kansas. Julia Fabris McBride is the interim president and CEO of the Kansas Leadership Center, a nonprofit organization that offers leadership development programs to foster stronger, healthier, and more prosperous communities through civic engagement. Julia will bring her experience as actor, coach, and executive to the table and help us understand rural communities a little better, including giving us a window into the adaptive work that is currently happening around abortion rights in the state. As always, I invite you to take a look at the chapter. That's chapter eight in Heifetz's Leadership Without Easy Answers. Let's get started. Welcome, Julia. Thank you, Michael. We get started as we always get started by getting to know you a little bit better. And I'm curious to hear from you what roles, what identities you are bringing to our conversation today. Well, first of all, Michael, I'm an actor. I'm trained as an actor. My first passion is as an actor. My first career was as an actor. So this question of identity is both complicated and very, very dear to me. But I, uh, I'll say I am a cisgender woman. I am a bisexual woman married to a man. I'm the 60-year-old mother of a 15-year-old. I am a daughter. My parents are visiting from Ohio this week, so I'm, I'm very aware this week of being a daughter. I also just took on the role of interim president and CEO at the Kansas Leadership Center. So I'm four days into that and doing my job as chief leadership development officer as well, you know, trying to juggle those identities or roles. Is that enough? Oh, that's plenty. <laughs> and and it, I mean, I'm a yogi, I'm a meditator, I'm a you know, I love this, some of that. And actually, Michael, what I first loved, what I loved about this framework 
from the very beginning was the idea that that there's a, a distinction between role and self and that there's value that this framework elevates the value of attending to that yeah and i can't help but seeing the connection to the actor right yeah yeah because i always like as an actor you're always wondering what would i do in this situation and then what would this character do in this situation yeah and and at least my fantasy is that Actors feel much less funny around this idea that we're taking up a role, we're playing a role, not as something artificial, but actually as something to really relate to a situation, a context, a challenge with empathy and compassion, enrolling yourself in that situation. Right. You're intervening to accomplish something or to move something forward or to become something yourself or to help a group become what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, I'm so excited to uh, hear how these different roles and identities are coming to life as we're, as we're exploring this chapter together, creative deviance at the front line or on the front line. I'm curious what core ideas of themes have stood out for you from that chapter? The core themes that stood out to me this time that I read it, because I'm holding a copy of Leadership Without Easy Answers that I signed and dated on September, in September 2008, when I first met Marty Linsky and was introduced to this book, right? So I've been underlining in this book for 14 years, right? And the themes that struck me this time around were the idea of working across factions and the idea that we can, you know, whether we have formal authority or not in our own system, if we want to get fit something done, we usually have to engage across organizations or across factions or across systems. And nobody has all the authority necessary to do that. So that, that's one theme, the working across factions theme. The other one that stood out for me was leadership up and down the chain. So sometimes I'm exercising leadership up. Sometimes I'm exercising leadership down. Sometimes I'm exercising leadership across. I mean, just a lot stood out to me in the chapter about that. And then the idea that, that's implicit in the chapter, Ed O'Malley and I have now just finished a book that's called When Everyone Leads, How Tough Challenges Get Seen and Solved. And I think the idea that we need cultures where everyone leads, if we're going to make progress on our toughest challenges, is baked into this chapter, though, that, though it's not explicit. Yeah, I think it is such a both beautiful and provocative idea. Still, like now, even like three decades after the book was written, that leadership is not just authority that everybody can lead, that you can lead with authority, that you can lead without authority, even without informal authority, right? I mean, Heifetz makes this big case that that even if you don't have an audience and much attention, like that may be when you're the freest mm -hmm. <laughs> to to do some provocation, to do some, have some latitude, as he calls it, uh, on the front lines. And I just love it. And at the same time, it's it is so daunting. It is so hard because, as Heifetz points out in that chapter, 
you know, many people wait until they gain authority <laughs> to begin to think about leadership, right? If I only, if I were only the head of school, uh, then I could finally like influence the policies <laughs> uh, of the school and the way how things are, are going. And we underestimate actually the power we have more on the front lines. And the other thing that's on my mind, Michael, is that story of the two lieutenants in Vietnam. And I'll admit that as I, as I read this chapter, it caused me, and that section caused me to really think about moments when I didn't exercise leadership. And then I also got to thinking about all the people in my community who are out there exercising leadership every day. That was the other beautiful thing about this chapter is that like, I kept thinking about one more person who was exercising leadership to try to make progress on something that was really important to them. Terrific. I'm really excited to dive into those themes more as we explore your, um, the piece of the text you've, you've brought. I have one more question before we get started. Would you share with us just in a few sentences, uh, a little bit more background on the Kansas Leadership Center and its mission and its work? The Kansas Leadership Center's mission is to foster civic leadership for healthier, stronger, more prosperous Kansas communities. And our vision is a civic culture in Kansas and beyond that is healthy and prosperous and able to make progress on the most daunting challenges. And we do that through leadership development and civic engagement, publications, research. Our mission is focused on Kansas, but we also serve and interact with partners across the United States and around the world in all sectors. We're just over 15 years old. And a lot of the work you're doing is not exclusive, but like you are building a lot from this framework in your work, to my understanding, right? Oh, definitely. We built the KLC Leadership Framework, a set of five principles and four competencies built on the definition that is in this chapter of leadership is mobilizing people to make progress on the toughest challenges. Leadership is mobilizing people to make progress on adaptive challenges. So that definition of adaptive challenges, that idea of leadership as an activity has been core piece of KLC from the very beginning. Terrific. And, you know, for our listeners, the link to KLC will be in the show notes. Uh, you can find out more about the work there and the amazing programming they have. So let's dive into the quote that you brought for us today. What piece of text, Julia, stood out to you as you were rereading this chapter? In fact, Many people daily go beyond both their job description and the informal expectations they carry within their organization and do what they are not authorized to do. That's a beautiful quote. So where is that situated in the chapter? We're pretty early on here in the chapter, right? Yeah, this is three pages into the chapter and he's just talked about how leadership without authority has been the domain of women for a long time. And he's starting to get into examples of people like 
Rachel Carson and Gandhi and Susan B. Anthony and Martin Luther King, who exercised leadership beyond the scope of their authority. And he follows that first section with talking about the benefits of leading without authority and the ways in which authority can really be a constraint. Yeah. And we, we talked a lot about the, the constraints of authority in previous episodes. So it's interesting to think about sort of, you know, why is leadership actually easier or some parts of leadership, some parts of addressing adaptive work easier when you're not within the constraints of a formal role of being in charge? How would you describe that in your own words? Well, when you don't have the constraints of authority, I think, number one, you are freer to focus on one issue or one big challenge and to make your life and work or your year or month about that challenge. That's one thing. Most of the time when you have a lot of formal authority, you're also having to make sure that the budget is balanced and the organizational structure is sound and people are showing up for work or that, or even if you're the, the board chair of a nonprofit, you're having to deal with governance issues and nominating the next slate of officers. But if you're, you know, if you really don't have any authority, you can ask the dumb question or the provocative question. I agree. That's the, and, and sort of the, the timely example to me is always uh, Greta Thunberg, the, the climate change activist, right? This, this um, young woman who is dedicating, really dedicating her life to that issue and embodying it so strongly. And I will say with the tens and hundreds of thousands of other young people that are on the streets partnering and, and also uh, not with much authority, also practicing leadership in their communities, our local organizers and so on and so on. But like that's, that is a big, a big piece outside of the, these, these constraints of the, the roles you would name. I will say one more thing, which is risk, right? We often think it is risky work to practice leadership without authority. But what we underestimate is like how risky it is to practice leadership with authority because, because you can be pushed out of office. You can be thrown out. If you're too provocative, you're losing your role faster than you got it. And that's often why politicians, for example, or senior authority figures are really risk averse because of their authorizing environment. Well, and also because they represent an organization and they have so many people placing a kind of expectation on them about what the organization represents. So somebody who doesn't have that constraint of the top job is more able to explore issues and move things forward. I had forgotten that in this opening section, Heifetz addresses the word followers. And it really shows up mostly in the footnote. But he says, I mean, just as you said just now about the people who are out on the streets partnering, that that's not following. That's exercising leadership in their own sphere of influence. Yes. That's really an important distinction between 
everybody following and everybody being able to exercise leadership and mobilize people within their sphere of influence. Julia, I uh, would love to read the, the line with you one more time and, and I'm going to offer that I'll, I'll read it. And as I read this line to you, I invite you to let your mind wander and think a little bit about images, metaphors, songs, like creative pieces that may not directly relate with your experience yet, but like just see what's coming up sort of as we, as we enter a little bit the, the kind of the associative space. So here comes the quote. In fact, many people daily go beyond both their job description and the informal expectations they carry within their organization and do what they are not authorized to do. Yeah, when I hear that, I just picture people in my little town here. I mean, I'm, I live in Matfield Green, Kansas. And there are 120 people with, you know, in the township, about 49 in the town. And this is a community that should have disappeared by now, but it hasn't. We have a town council, and unlike many little towns, we have water from a city well, and our trash gets picked up, and we have an art gallery in town and a nonprofit at each end of town that does community gatherings. And that's all because people from very different factions in some cases are exercising leadership every day to keep this town vital. And that's Brad, who runs the volunteer fire department. That's Donnie, who serves as mayor and keeps the water flowing. That's Cindy and Bill, who are working to get a art gallery that won't leak. And Tia and Matt, who do the school for rural community and culture. And Lynn down the street at the Center for Cowboy and Ranching History. And it's all these people headed in the same direction differently. Sometimes they collaborate and sometimes they argue or don't speak to one another about something, but they're all headed in the direction of keeping this rural community in the center of the Flint Hills, which is a, a gem of environmental beauty. They're keeping it alive, you know, for their, themselves and their descendants. What a beautiful picture and description of this, these real people. The two associations I have as I'm imagining myself into that world is agency and purpose. Yeah. Agency and purpose and a sense of, if not me, who? Beautiful. So what, what's your sense? Like, what is driving people? Like, like, why are they doing all of this? Even though people may not have that may not be part of their job descriptions and, and that may also not be part of the informal expectations others, other people have of them. Yeah, maybe, maybe only one of the people that I just mentioned gets paid anything. <laughs> All of these people are self-authorized. They step up to run for office because no one else will or they decide that 
the school needs to be renovated and you know, the school that is no longer a school needs to be renovated and opened up for community play and conversation and art or that the gallery needs to be on the scenic byway so people can stop and ask questions and orient themselves. A big piece of what drives them is the idea of home. And I think home here, because it's so beautiful, I think the beauty of the place and, you know, if anything, if everybody in town has one thing in common, it's they recognize how rare and beautiful Matfield Green, Kansas and the Flint Hills are. The other thing, Michael, is there are people all over in my life who are doing similar things. And as I was preparing for this podcast, I was thinking, okay, Chris Green, the executive editor of KLC's Journal Magazine, is determined to create places and spaces where people can actually change the civic culture of Kansas through dialogue and through work together. And then we do some work with the Missouri Hospital Association and the Kansas Hospital Association. And they have no real authority with the hospitals that are members, but they recognize a shared challenge of retaining and engaging people in the healthcare industry. And they are using Heifetz's model of adaptive challenges and exercising leadership as an activity to try to build bridges among hospitals and other healthcare institutions so that they're not competing against each other. And then there's, there's our friend Christina Long, who's dedicated to growing minority business. And Christina herself has a small company, but she shows up everywhere in Wichita, Kansas and around the state to speak on behalf of growing minority-owned businesses, to provide resources, to partner with government agencies to make it easier for minority-owned businesses to access listings of businesses on government websites, for instance. But she's clear about her purpose. And I don't see her getting as distracted as somebody who had a lot more authority might by other things that they had to do or had to be or had to represent. Hey there, this is Andy, facilitator and executive coach at Konu. Thanks for tuning in to On the Balcony. Are you curious to learn more about how to exercise leadership or how to thrive in times of uncertainty and change? Over the next several months, Konu is hosting a series of virtual sessions designed to help you bring some of the ideas from this podcast into your work and your life. We'll explore key leadership distinctions that can help you mobilize people to make progress in times of change, regardless of your job title, your position, or your seniority. We'll also explore practices and mindset shifts that can help you stay anchored and grounded when the heat goes up and take care of yourself over the long haul so you don't burn out. You can learn more and sign up at konu.org slash events. And as a regular listener of this podcast, you can use the code BALCONY to waive your registration fee. That's konu.org slash events. 
and the registration code is BALCONY. Excited to see you there. I love all of these these examples, and I would love to pick one or dive a little bit more deeper into one, maybe one that is particularly close to your own heart and your own experience, something that you have been in yourself or journeyed with as a coach or or support or over a while. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna read uh, one more time the quote and invite you to to connect to your own experience. So here here it comes. In fact, many people daily go beyond both their job description and the informal expectations they carry within their organizations and do what they are not authorized to do. That quote is pretty daunting. I mean, I'm looking at it, you just read it, and I'm, you know, I'm really asking myself, when's the last time I did that? And have I done it lately? My best example, Michael, comes from, I mean, it's 20 years ago now. And I was not even part of this of About Face Theater Company yet. But I went to a show there and I heard Eric Rosen talk about wanting to form a youth theater for LGBTQ youth and their allies. I think it was 1999 or 2000. And, you know, that wasn't in Eric's job description. I mean, they had, About Face Theater had a mission to do plays related to the LGBT experience. But, you know, I don't think Eric, if he was making any money at all at the time, got hired to start a youth theater. But he and Kyle started standing up and talking about it. And, I had some grant writing skills at the time and just, you know, volunteered in that moment to be part of it. And they said yes. And we ended up a group of six actors and writers and, you know, nonprofit managers. And we created that youth theater and we engaged, you know, 20 kids the first year kids between 14 and about 19. And it was the scariest thing ever because we felt like we had, you know, we thought about all the things that could go wrong. And we we had grant money by that time. And if this goes wrong and if something bad happens and if we get accused of hurting these kids in any way, or if you know, the story that goes out there is bad for any one of these kids leaned into each other. Like, I don't know that I've ever leaned into, you know, five other people since. And that program just grew and grew and it's been, it's still around and it's morphed and it's changed. And Megan Carney is now the artistic director at About Face Theater in Chicago and this youth theater continues on, and of course it's online and it's totally different. I think it really contributed to LGBT rights, particularly in Chicago in the early 2000s. Wow. Yeah, to literal policy change. Back then, when you sort of connect to that earlier version of yourself, what gave you the courage to do something that you were not authorized to do? Together, we had 
the skills to do it, and the sense of shared purpose, the commitment to supporting those young people to become happy adults surrounded by community and the sense of purpose around making sure those stories got told in ways that parents could hear and members of the broader community could hear so that there was a more welcoming world for them to enter. You know, some of it was our small group of adults feeling like we don't want these kids to go through what we went through as young people. And some of it was just we didn't have a whole lot to lose. I didn't have a whole lot to lose. The potential gains would far outweigh the risks. Mm, Beautiful. And as a gay man, I can only say how meaningful it is to hear what you did in those early 2000s that were quite a different time. Julia, I'm curious about one additional theme that has shown up in this chapter, which is abortion rights. Would you bring us into the discussion around the recent vote in Kansas on the constitutional right to abortion and the adaptive work around it? The amendment was basically, if you were voting no, you were voting against changing the Kansas constitution and you were voting with the most recent Kansas Supreme Court decision back in 2019, saying that the Constitution as it stands protects the right to abortion, likely with restrictions. Are there, there are restrictions on the books in Kansas about abortion that the Kansas Supreme Court has found to be constitutional. But at its base, You were voting, no, we're, get, we're going to stick with the Constitution. We're not changing the Constitution. We're going to stick with what we have. Yes was a vote to add a constitutional amendment that would say, basically, this Constitution does not protect the right to abortion. What I'm really proud of that Chris Green, executive editor of the journal at Kansas Leadership Center, did was... Two days before the vote, he convened a conversation that's online that started out with spokespeople, the authorities from both sides, talking about, you know, their view of what's in the amendment and what it would mean. So there was some back and forth, not live, but between those two, the clips from this person, then clips from that person, both sides. But then there were six graduates of Kansas Leadership Center programs invited to a conversation facilitated by Chris Green. And his primary goal that I think he accomplished was to show that these six people who understand how complex these challenges are and how difficult it is for people with vastly different worldviews and values to live together in a state and make 
laws together. Chris's goal was to show that we can have a civil conversation in which the people, and there were many people who joined on Facebook Live and, and other places to be part of that conversation, to view that conversation and comment in which people can gain an understanding of how what the other side is feeling or thinking. So this was a really concrete example. Kansans had to vote yes or vote no. And Chris brought together people who were, were determined to vote yes and determined to vote no. Now, the real tricky part is that we want to continue to do that work around this, this decision and this issue of abortion and continue to bring, because it's not over at the vote, right? We still have to live together and we still have to find ways to be in community together and to create a civic culture that can be prosperous and healthy and where we all can live. So the Kansas Leadership Center is going to continue to host those conversations among people who have a basis of training in the Kansas Leadership Center framework and this distinction between adaptive and technical and the idea that leadership is an activity and it's about working across factions. We're going to continue to bring people together to see what happens and see what good can come of conversations where people have a grounding in those kinds of skills and ideas. And what's interesting for me about that is, is, you know, we, we hear a lot in the chapter and also when I think back about my conversation with Ian in episode six, a lot around sort of the role of advocacy, uh, where, you know, you, you advocate on behalf of a certain point and kind of try to mobilize and your approach here as Ken's Leadership Center, even though people at the center may have their own opinions on, on the issue, your approach really is an inclusive approach around uh, a convening across boundaries and across different factions. And I'm curious, like, what's the advantage of convening diverse perspective in a conversation over saying, for example, we take a stance and share our own opinion? Yeah, let me start with a different example, and then maybe we can come back to this one. Last year, we worked with a city here in Kansas that did not have a non-discrimination ordinance on the books. And the city council was considering an ordinance. There had been public meetings that really ended up being, you know, one side for however many minutes that they had getting their national talking points out there and then, you know, the next person. And it, it was going on and on and it wasn't helpful to the city council members in deciding whether or not they had a good ordinance in front of them and let alone how they were going to vote. And it was, it was destructive to the community because basically people were showing up and yelling at each other. That city engaged with KLC to facilitate two evenings of conversation and come up with a report that outlined the different points of view and exactly what the ordinance said, what it meant, what everybody in the room representing different stakeholders had agreed that it meant and the places where people had differences of opinion 
about not only what it meant, but whether or not it should pass. So, and I think that we have a similar goal with the conversation around abortion in Kansas. We want people to be able to understand what the other side believes and thinks. And we want people to come together and and be able to weigh in thoughtfully and listen to one another as we try to come up with policies and laws for how we live together. Now, not everybody's going to be happy when it comes to things. There are winners and losers. But if we can, for instance, come out of the vote and have conversations, host conversations now with people who voted yes and who voted no, and really try to diagnose and understand, okay, what is the situation we're in now? What are these restrictions on abortion that are on the books? What are you concerned about? And what will it take for you to stay in Kansas and live here and feel at home here and be able to greet your neighbor who had a yes sign or who had a no sign, greet your neighbor happily and civilly when you see them in the morning and possibly work together on other things. What I'm hearing is progress is when we understand each other and we understand where we're coming from, maybe the values and beliefs that are in the background of these different positions, the things we care about. And when we're able to maybe also hold the difference in a way that that allows us to live together and and collaborate and and you know both feel at home here. Yeah, exactly. Progress is a civic culture that's more able to make decisions for the common good. Progress is a culture that's more able to make hard decisions and carry on living together and being creative together. Julia, I will invite you. I want to invite you to read your quote one more time and then I'll wrap us up with one final question around the future. In fact, many people daily go beyond both their job description and the informal expectations they carry within their organization and do what they are not authorized to do. So thinking about the future, Julia, what actions are you being called to take? I am being called to make leadership less risky for others, to help at least over the next six months at KLC and definitely beyond, to encourage people to speak their mind, to ask hard questions, to stretch beyond their comfort zones. We need people who have the courage to say, this is what I care about, and the support from people with more authority to be able to try things and fail and try things and move it forward and, and try things until they get it done. I love that. And what a beautiful, beautiful way to close the cycle, right? That strategy of, of people who are in charge to protect the voices that are on the front line and to enable and, and support them. 
Um, I think it's beautifully aligned with the mission you have for this organization, that the work that you do in the field. And it's wonderful to hear that you're also committed to doing that internally to develop those capacities. Julia, it's been such a joy to have you on the show. I wish you all the best for that work. And I'm so grateful you've been here. Thank you, Michael. This has been so much fun. We'll be back in two weeks with Chapter 9 of Ron Heifetz's book, Leadership Without Easy Answers, with the title, Modulating the Provocation. We'll have more insights on leadership without authority from Ashley Stewart, transformational coach and facilitator, racial consciousness consultant, and former executive director and assistant superintendent for talent and organizational development at Baltimore City Public Schools. If you like the show, follow us and leave a review on your favorite podcasting platform. On the Balcony is brought to you by Kono, growing and provoking leadership and hosted by me, Michael Kohler. We're produced by Podigy. Editing, Riley Byrne and Daniel Link. Cover art by Kenneth Emoyo and Rosie Greenberg. Our music is called Change of Blue by Hannah Gill and The Hours. Thanks for listening. We'll see you for episode nine on The Balcony. 